The following podcast contains adult themes and topics. Yes, we're going to talk about adults and their learning habits. What did you expect? We are Natalia. I'm Ida. I'm Bogdan. And together we invite you to join our non-formal talks. Hi people, welcome to our second episode of non-formal talks. Yoohoo, this is the second episode already, exciting. Um, today we are going to talk about history, history of non-formal education. Evolution is a process of learning and um, learning goes hand in hand with education. So today we are going to find out some milestones when non-formal education appeared. Did it go hand in hand with formal education? Did it go separately? Was it uh, a revolution in education? So these are some of the points which we are going to discuss today. So to start with, I just would like to pose this question to, to us. Uh, so Bogdida, what do you think? When uh, non-formal education started, what, uh, what was uh, the first event of it? Yeah, well, from my 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 first thought was like, okay, but how do we define non-formal education? Because I think that would tell us also maybe when it appeared in history, and of course, when when I looked into the definitions, like uh, like we do uh, when we prepare for a training course or something, you have all these distinction between informal and formal and non-formal, and then you have all kind of other types of uh, of education that um, different scientists or academicians talk about in a very simple way. It's not formal education, let's say. Um, but however, it's planned. Then I don't know. I think we can trace it way back in history. Uh, I would even challenge this idea, and I would say that yeah, it, it's there since maybe the the time when it was practiced by Aboriginal population. I'm just the first thing that came to my mind was this uh, movie called Walkabout. It's a movie from the <laughs> 70s. It's about two kids that sort of get lost in the back country in Australia. And they are supposed to survive. There is nothing on kilometers and kilometers around them. And for some, at some point, they start walking <laughs> and they come across this uh, Aboriginal kid that basically is going through his process of becoming an adult. All kids had to, at certain age, go out in the backcountry and survive, come back uh, having survived. They, they would have already practiced some skills of hunting lizards and finding water in the middle of nowhere at 50 degrees and so on. But there was this specific time in their life where they're supposed to go out there and they're supposed to come in one or two weeks back to their tribe and prove mm -hmm. that they are, you know, they are worthy and that they now can become an adult and they themselves can teach others. So I'm thinking, <laughs> you know, if we are looking at these elements of non-formal education, maybe this was already practiced in some way, right, as I described mm -hmm. at that point in time, no? I, I think there is one concept that very often pops up when you Google non-formal education. And that's lifelong learning that uh, it's, I mean, non-formal education is somehow connected to this idea that you can learn or you should learn throughout your life in different parts of life and that learning never stops. Uh, so I guess if you look at it in this more, yeah, in, in this survival mode, probably it does go um, quite far back in history. Um, but then I think, again, the question comes, is it the history of non-formal education or is it, is it the history of learning as such? And I guess they are quite intervened. And that's also why it's hard to say the date and the year when it was invented, because it somehow comes maybe from this kind of human need to learn and this human wish to learn. Um, and that's why it goes so far back. 
I would probably also distinguish here notion of learning and notion of education, because mm. obviously sometimes back in history, all people started through learning by doing, but can we call it an education and what makes yeah. an education education? I was also reflecting when a father was teaching a child to do something, to become a master, maybe making jewelry. With the time, somehow you learn from a master and you also mm. shape your mastery to one day become a master. And that was mm. uh, quite a lengthy planned educational process mm. with a specific uh, purpose. So mm. for me, it's also, for instance, very difficult to cluster this to either mm. formal or non-formal, or maybe we just uh, speaking in this uh, general terms but that what we call i don't know just education without uh, putting it necessarily to any of the uh, clusters mm. i think when you look at the kind of idea of learning by doing now i'm i'm just th thinking out loud because i feel like there is something that it comes more in a way naturally and something that humans have been doing for a long time in history and then i feel like there's almost like the second wave which is uh, as a reaction to formal education which comes much later in history. And that, that's, I think, where also the two, the two kind of meet or where the history of uh, formal and non-formal education kind of align in a way. Because if you look at history, the formal education systems have also developed. And I think quite a lot during the last, let's say, 100 years to become more, I don't know, um, widespread in a way, more, I don't want to say authoritarian, but more controlled, more formalized. Formal education has become more formalized. And then you can see other types of education also as a reaction to this. Yeah, if I can put another question and maybe Bogdizan mm -hmm. can reflect to both. Uh, but if we say that non-formal education came at a certain time, I don't know, in the 20th century as a reaction to formal education, then does it mean that it doesn't exist by its own because it was born as a Ooh. reaction to formal <laughs> education? And what is a value, for instance, what is a future if, let's say, one day formal education evolves to its, uh, I don't know, full potential? How do we imagine the space for non-formal education in this case? Sp spicy questions, Natalia. You're yeah, very spicy. <laughs> Challenging us. Me... Yeah, exactly. It just makes me go back to this definition thing, because mm. when you read academic papers or articles... Most of the people start by saying, oh, it's a very unclear term. Oh, it's very, uh, <laughs> you know, we need to find out to define it. So there's always, always a difficulty in defining this. So this is why I'm not surprised that then we are wondering, but when did it start? Well, we don't know mm -hmm. because we don't know. It depends how we define it. And indeed, you're both <laughs> reflecting on two interesting things. Like mm -hmm. I remember there is this um, uh, sociologist, I think, called Simkins, uh, Tim Simkins. And in the 70s, he talked about learning in general and he said that um, if we look at let's say at human history like life on the planet and we've always learned and this is connected also to lifelong learning like we learn all mm. our lives but he says learning let's say if it's a it's a bigger field and the human race has always learned and it has always learned informally meaning things just happen you go or you know you need to survive you need to find ways to to cope with things so you don't plan to make to a higher Exactly. You don't plan. You just have to at some point. You realize mm -hmm. you have to and so on and so forth. And then within this bigger sphere, then we created this system kind of only one dimension, but with two different ends. So formal mm -hmm. one, one side, 
non-formal on the other side. And then the question is, you know, if we are talking about learning, where does it, you know, where is it situated? When mm. So when we talk about non-formal learning and history, I'm thinking, okay, well, learning has been there all the time. Then it's just a matter of maybe when this big discussion came into into the academic field that we, we started reflecting on what is formal, what is non-formal and so on. So so it, it is somehow related to that. And speaking about articles, I noticed that um, these conferences on educations that happened in the in the 70s were the ones that, uh, you know, started making this distinction somehow. Um, uh, there were certain uh, researchers that were working in, in uh, on, for example, Kingsley and Bing, they reported on non-formal education in Ghana. Then there are others that spoke about non-formal education more generally in Africa uh, and also in Southeast Asia and so on. And there, there were lots of conferences, even UNESCO had one. Um, so, and all the interesting thing is that, that for some reason, the discussion about non-formal education started from the failures of formal education. Mm. They were talking what were the shortcomings of having people educated formally Non-formal education came as a sort of a response to the fact that formal education couldn't reach everyone. And then there were these programs that were kind of done in the countryside. Some were for literacy, some were related to agriculture, to production and so on. And they were kind of complementing what was what was done in, in the formal education. But the very strong mm -hmm. element was there about, about literacy. And they were very strong, especially in, in underdeveloped countries uh, at the mm -hmm. time. Why so, do you think it was in uh, so developed in underdeveloped countries? Because because at the time, if you think about seventies and then later eighties, the West or or the North or the developed part of the world, let's say at least economically, industrially, were quite advanced in terms of in industry production and so on. And in order to have people working in those. Uh, uh, areas they had to have them trained they couldn't just have anyone you know people from the countryside couldn't just walk in a factory and start doing their job they needed to have the skills and in some cases some skills were also related to being able to read yeah. then it's what is interesting to point out maybe is also that there were terms like uh, popular education that were uh, specifically used in Latin American countries in the South, uh, in South American countries, mm. but also in, in Europe, in particularly in Spain and, and France. And these were more, let's say, a trend that came more not from the need of literacy. And it came later on, obviously, in the, I think more in the, uh, in the in the 80s, in the early 80s. I don't know, maybe our auditors can can correct <laughs> us. Yeah, they were more about social justice, more about people needing to, um, you know, uh, to level a, a little bit the differences between the various uh, layers of society and so on and so forth. Mm. Yeah, I wanted to comment just on this, uh, on the idea of, uh, of formal education in uh, throughout the world, um, because I think it's important to also understand that formal education very often has been this um, one model fits all, and it's also been a product of export. Uh, and it has been, well, not maybe even exported, but really, I don't know, maybe coming from Europe and spread out. And I think especially this is the case for um, for some countries that used to be colonies where they have just kind of gotten a system from another country that didn't actually fit that society. And then I think there's a lot of blind spots in what type of learning, what type of education did already exist in those places and is kind of existing in parallel with this, uh, in a way, colonial system that, that the formal education 
system is, um, which again, I think is also speaks to this, the failure in a way. So I think there are places and situations where the systems exist in parallel, one being more rooted in the people actually who live there and the needs that exist in the communities, and one which is coming from above or from abroad or from outside. And I think this is, again, something where we, when we speak about the, maybe, yeah, the definition of normal education, that is something that is rooted actually in the needs of people. And that is, again, something where in order to have a, not even a system, because I think very often when we speak about non-formal education, it's not even a system. The whole idea of a system, I think that comes from the formal side, actually. Uh, but it's something, it can be something grassroots, something smaller, something very community-based, and something that answers the needs of people. And only those people can know what their needs are. Uh, and yeah. that's why it's so fascinating. I guess that's why we are here. But I actually appreciate in what you are saying that you brought this word system, because if mm. we... If we you know we go through uh, through history this is what we have today actually we do have a yeah. system uh, and it, it sort of emerged when when institutions picked up also on 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 the needs in the society if you just look at the european uh, institutions mm. and, and what their needs were in connection to the kind of policies that were promoting in europe and then they did create the system uh, around the funding that they have available mm. around the civil societies that they were promoting and and so on and so forth and this is what we have today so everything that we do with the council of europe with the european commission or with other institutions the non-formal education activity they are part of that mm. yes i think also if you look at today's europe there's a connection to institutions which is something that I think non-formal education by definition doesn't happen. I mean, it's not institutional. And I think it's interesting when, in a way, it becomes at least connected to institution or it becomes part of institutions. It starts relying on institutions. Um, but I guess that's about today and we're still discussing history. Yeah. Well, I guess it's also worth looking at the purpose of education, both uh, formal and non-formal. Um, please forgive me for all the cliches, which uh, I will probably use right now, but in big lines, I think the purpose of formal education is to prepare children to become responsible adults. And uh, in other words, to become um, adults or citizens, which understand the rules, understand the rules how to live in a society. And uh, whatever society is, the rules might be different. I guess this is also a little bit uh, what happened in uh, back in the uh, 60s and 70s when the uh, formal education system was quite often criticized. Uh, on one hand, the world has changed after the Second World War. There was this new generation of uh, young people who perhaps were born uh, during the war, right after the war, and, uh, and basically they also wanted to live differently. They wanted to have peace, they wanted to have more rights, they wanted to, um, to be equal, uh, they wanted to be diverse, they wanted to be prepared for the job market in the world, which uh, has changed and has been changing. And I guess this is where the educational system failed. And um, it was still quite oppressive, not allowing much uh, voice for young people. 
which simply was not acceptable in the times when uh, there were all these uh, social and uh, civil rights movements. In the U.S. there was this anti-Vietnam War movement and there were several civil rights movements. There were movements for women's liberties, different students' movements uh, almost all over the globe. Also, um, back then, uh, there was this uh, first, uh, there was this immigration wave from uh, post-colonial countries to Europe, which uh, made Europe to become a very different place, comparing to what it was before. And uh, I guess this new reality required a new way of learning, a new way of uh, educating young people. And uh, I guess this is also why and how uh, all these training courses appeared in this context. In one hand, uh, non-formal education started um, filling in this gap uh, in uh, providing this customized knowledge or learning solution for being somehow adequate for the job market to when you gain uh, different skills like communication skills and so on. But on the other hand, It also became a tool to educate uh, young people and society how to live uh, differently according to this newly achieved uh, liberties, values. And also the big question back then, I assume, was, uh, okay, there is a lot of success now. How we keep this working like this? How we make sure that other generations also live in the the world, which is... uh, lives in a culture of equality, human rights, cultural appreciation and so on. And I guess uh, this is also when international organizations realized that there is a big potential in non-formal education. And uh, perhaps already back then, first uh, training courses on uh, on the same topics like they exist nowadays uh, started appearing, like on participation, on human rights, on women rights, and so on, also to provide this opportunity to learn more people. So historically, we see that non-formal education obviously gave this opportunity, liberty, also freedom for people to learn what they need, what they want, how they want, and what they can immediately apply to practice. Maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> no, I think you're right, actually. And and as as I was browsing through different resources when I was uh, doing my research, actually, um, one of one of them actually says exactly this. If you look at non-formal education, you could easily consider it as basically a type of lifelong learning, and mm. the individual is put at the core of the process, as he has the responsibility in this in the decision-making process. So. Basically, let's say if we come in in a non-formal learning process, we will be the ones deciding on what is to be learned and we will look for help on how to learn or what kind of means to use. In this system we are talking about, this could be valid from the institutional perspective as well, right? The institutions, they have their own agenda. We are, you know, the courses that they propose and the courses that we run sometimes, they are already, you know, predefined in terms of what the content is and what we want people to learn. But at the same time, there is this voluntary uh, element. You know, people finally, they decide that they want to learn that, then they come in order to to learn that. And then the whole process is on the how and, you know, and the means and and so on and so forth. So there is that fine distinction here 
between the formal and the non-formal, this possibility of making a decision on what you want to learn. And of course, as an adult, you can also make that and you can just go and, and study in, you know, a specific subject and so on. Um, so it's, you know, that's why there is this very fine line between formal and non-formal and, and most of the academics, they actually talk about that and talk about this difficulty and really placing uh, something on one side or the other side of this uh, continuum that I was talking about earlier. So do you think that it fits all or that it fits many people because of this openness and this kind of liberal I, approach? I think if I'm looking back, and, and I think we've talked about that in the first episode on the reason why we joined uh, and why we are being trainers and doing non-formal education, for me, it's a matter of uh, being aware. Like I've, I wasn't aware when I entered the first time a training room that this is a training and this is non-formal education. I know that I want to do something. I want to volunteer. And I just ended up there. And then I realized what it is. And then I realized how it works. And then I saw the principles are very different. But mm. I'm not sure. I'm not sure it's a matter of... It's just a matter of you ending up in a place and realizing what it is. And just to close, because I think it's not relevant, but I still want to talk <laughs> about it, is this this <laughs> moment when, when you realize uh, that you are not used to this... Uh, environment mm. that is the non-formal education when you're asked to write a poem or you're asked to do certain things that in school you know they would have never given me the floor to do things so I, I would say for me that was a defining moment when I could say ah this is more of a non-formal because mm. all of a sudden I have to do things not the teacher I have to be mm. the one directing things I I'm sharing from my own experience and this is mm. valued by people around me while in the mm. formal system this didn't happen but again I'm talking about the traditional formal that I went through in my early uh, uh, age because later on obviously mm. I've I've also experienced the the kind of change in masters that I did where I was actually you know part of the whole uh, the the whole module and and I was mm. co-constructing it with my professor so the line mm. is really blur. Uh, I guess that formal education is also changing in many countries. I don't know if you look at the US or UK system when uh, there is this project-based learning, or I don't know, at Finnish system, maybe either you can comment on this. But again, there is no convincing studies saying that, for instance, this way of um, education is somehow showing uh, significantly better results when it comes to to literacy, for instance, or for this general school education. And then I guess also another problem which shades to non-formal education at the moment when um, somehow non-formal education started influencing how formal system works, people started looking for proofs how non-formal education works. And I guess here we come to the question that in uh, our context, which is a relatively training context, when we do training courses for people, we speak about non-formal education as a as approach, which is a quite a complex thing, thing than a methodology or a system. I guess within non-formal education, we also can create several systems uh, when it comes mm. to concrete learning experiences. I don't know, long-term training course, uh, for example, can be considered as an educational system if this is a one-year process. Mm. But basically, coming back, I don't know, Ida, if uh, you have anything to say about the uh, Finnish system and how this non-formal approach um, changed the system uh, mm. and if you saw any significant uh, difference. Is there a non-formal approach? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if I can uh, actually 
before that, maybe just jump back to history again, because I'm having these thoughts in general on on kind of the development of education systems. And actually, it's quite, I mean, yes, I think we can have this, the glass can be half full or, no, half full or half empty. Um, half empty. So it depends, I think, a bit on what approach you have. But if I look at history and when this kind of, yeah, this very formal, formal education started being questioned, it's really in the 60s and 70s. So this is a long time ago where there were, I mean, when these ideas of uh, critical pedagogy were invented, where it was questioned, this idea that you, um, that students are empty vessels that you fill with information and that then they just perform on a test and that there should be something else, there should be an added value to education that goes beyond what can be tested in an exam. And this comes from formal education and it comes from the 60s and 70s. And this is, I think, what, what our field, this is the kind of wave that our field still serves on in a way uh, this idea that you can become someone through education you can grow and as not a person something. exactly <laughs> and i think that's quite now that i think about it that these thoughts already started being developed so long ago and then we look at the systems that we have today that it didn't really happen so much and i think one reason it didn't happen is this need to test to prove to measure and to show results because even if you develop education systems, formal education systems, which is, yeah, it's true, it did happen in Finland. Actually, the first big reform was in the 70s. So it did follow this kind of critical thinking and this idea that education should be democratic and it should support people and la la la, social change. And still um, with the kind of, yeah. I don't know, develop, development of, I don't know, capitalism, the focus has still is still on exams. And yes, I think there are different ways that you can kind of achieve the results. So yes, when I went to school, I did write poems in school, but I still had to prove my uh, my knowledge in exams. And maybe in some exams, you have to write a poem, for instance. So you kind of show that you're creative in an exam, and then it's still you can be uh, um, you can be innovative in the way that you teach. You can um, give more room for students, but it's still formal education and it's still exam focused and i think there is still space and there is still a need for something else which is in our case i guess it's non-form education or community education or community pedagogy or whatever it can whatever it's called it's interesting because i think that if we are to close the discussion here we are mm somehow going back to to the question that natalia asked earlier what is the purpose of education because <laughs> no it, isn't it i, it, I think we should what, come back to this question in every episode is, yeah <laughs> this is why what, are we here what, uh, <laughs> this is the thought that comes to my mind when i hear what you say because then mm -hmm. i'm thinking well may, maybe then the whole purpose of education is just to prepare people to work in factories or to mm. work in their jobs full stop yeah. doesn't matter where right because if the purpose of education is to uplift the human spirit and and so on and so forth, self-actualization, so on, maybe then then we are talking about higher education only, right? When you when you can start thinking and reflecting about certain things like philosophy, sociology, and so on, or, or we you can start I don't know going a bit deeper in a specific skill that you want to sharpen and so on, and and then it's it's you are driven by that rather than mm. okay we're just gonna prepare people they need to pass the exams because they need to prepare products that will need to pass the quality check in order to get them on the market so you know then it comes really back to this discussion so i'm not surprised that at some point people mm. stopped and thought hey why are we doing this i used to work with someone she was a leader of a country and she wanted to run the country her own way 
the first thing she would do would be to cut all critical thinking from education to make sure that people don't question her as a leader. And this is basically the, the point that if if we if education is supposed to grow critical thinkers who who find their own lives and who do things their way, then they become very dangerous for for people who don't want critical thinkers in their society. Absolutely. Uh, and that's why I guess it's also slow development. Ah, yeah. in a way. It sounds like it's a Pandora box. You open that Pandora box <laughs> and then you have people questioning yeah. everything. Why are we a country? Why am I this? Why yeah. am I doing this? Why are we here? Why? It's totally and a so Pandora on, box. So forth, so. <laughs> <laughs> I suggest that we don't open any more Pandora boxes in this episode. And perhaps the last thing to say before we close is that, in fact, it was quite difficult to find resources on history of non-formal education. Yeah, right, of course, we could find sources on history of education as such, but when it came to non-formal education, all articles, or most of them, were basically uh, tracing us back to 60s and 70s and to what we have discussed, um, discussed today. And almost nothing in uh, recent history. And what does it mean? Um, we were reflecting on that with Bogdianida, and actually it could mean two things. Uh, first of all, that non-formal education is still defining, and perhaps uh, it is still difficult to define, especially in relation to some um, interconnected concepts like adult learning or lifelong learning. And also, what if the history of non-formal education is still building? And what if we all are part of this history? Let's think about that. We can close the box here because obviously it's pretty big and lots of things are popping mm. up. Uh, and we're gonna we're gonna open the box in the next episode. So see you on the next episode when we're gonna talk about principles of non-formal education, uh, the general perspective. <laughs>